That was a great song. Thank you. Good morning. We're going to be Luke 9. Luke 9. This will be our main passage for this morning. I'm happy to be here. I hope you are as well, worshiping together. It's always something to be so thankful for. Luke 9. We're going to start off this chapter by just starting off the way it starts off. We're going to go through this chapter. 62 verses, so get cozy. And we're going to be... No, just kidding. It won't be that bad. (laughs) But this entire chapter, it's about following Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus. What it takes to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus wants people to follow him. He desires a relationship, you know, with us. And that's what this chapter is about. That's how it starts off. But this morning, I want to ask the question, ask you the question. You can ask yourselves, do you follow Jesus? And you might be obviously saying, yeah, yes, of course I follow Jesus. Or you might be wondering, yeah, that's why I'm here. I'm here to follow Jesus. I'm trying to better understand how to do that. And I hope that you are. And what we'll see is Jesus is going to ask us and confront us and have to force us to look at ourselves and our life and our faith and ask again, am I really following Jesus? The key verse of this whole chapter is verse 23. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus tells us basically here to do three things, as we can see. To deny self, to take up our cross, and to follow him. And these are our three main points this morning. And this entire chapter is surrounded around this verse. You have the beginning, verses 1 through 17, all lead up to verse 23. And all the following verses... Help describe what it means to do these things, what it means to have these in our life. So notice the buildup, starting with verse 2. Jesus sends out his disciples to preach the gospel and to tell people about the kingdom of God. In verse 2, he says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So they have miraculous healing here. And the word gets out. The word about Jesus gets out. Now, there's also confusion happening at the same time. This message that seems to be surrounding Jesus and his disciples, but the message keeps on going and perseveres. In verse 6, we read, And they departed and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is great stuff. It becomes popular. In fact, it becomes so popular, the king hears about this, King Herod. But with everything... As news spreads, so do rumors, and so does misinformation. Because the king here, he's confused. Look at verses 7 through 9, where it says, Now Herod, the tetriarch, heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. I find it interesting that King Herod is mentioned here. Talking about following Jesus, following a king, and the influence a king has. Think about that. What does a king do, you know? King has influence. People follow him. The Jewish people are following King Herod. And as a king, it's your job to protect and to provide and to help your people in certain ways. And now all of a sudden, if you're a king, you're hearing this person. This person is doing amazing, impossible things. He's feeding 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and two fish, as we read in verses 12 through 17. Doing amazing things. 
He's hearing about this kingdom of God within his own kingdom, this Messiah, this other king as well. And that, I'm sure, is not very comforting if you're a king. Now, all of a sudden, your influence is ruined. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's telling them, look, I want you to follow me. And by the thousands, they flock around Jesus. If I'm the king, that might, that, that's an army. That's not good. But as word spreads, people talk and facts get skewed and people misunderstand. You look at verse 8 here, right? Who do they think Jesus is? They think he's Elijah. He's one of the prophets of old. He's maybe John the Baptist risen from the dead. And so to clear things up here, Jesus asks his disciples a question. Look at verses 18 through 21. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. What a powerful statement. I mean, Peter, he nailed it. Jesus is the Christ, the Christ of God. He's the king, the king of this kingdom of God that they've been talking about and preaching about. And so if that's the case, then what do we do? How do we follow him? And what we see is in these verses is that Jesus is giving these people and the disciples reasons to follow him, reasons that they should desire to live their lives for God, that he should be the first and most important thing in their life. That's the idea that's leading up to verse 23. That if this is the Jesus, the Jesus, the Christ of God, as Peter is saying, how do we follow him then? He gives us today even so many reasons to follow him. And even though it may be a difficult road at times, maybe even not the desirable road, it is for sure the road that leads to eternity with him and salvation. It's the road that we should all choose. It's being with Jesus. And so look at the first thing here in verse 23, to deny yourself. That's the first thing Jesus mentions here. And so many think that when we read this verse or that little phrase, to deny self, we think that's giving up all the pleasures in life, all the joy that life has to offer and, and that God has given us. And we think that, okay, physical, bad, spiritual, good. But this phrase is not, they're not pitting those things against each other. In the context, if we're going to come after Jesus and follow him, it's saying you need to deny yourself. And we're not denying ourselves if we take God and we place him behind us so that he's following behind our desires and our goals and our objectives and our plans. You see, when God is just an aspect of our life, we're not denying ourselves. Denying ourselves is denying ownership of our life. It means to deny ourselves. And that makes sense when you apply this next verse, verse 24. All these verses are describing what we read in verse 23. In verse 24, Jesus says, Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus points out in one verse the difference between how people think, especially without God in their life, and how God thinks. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to think like Jesus. But so many in this life, 
view human life as just from birth to death, and that's life. And God says, no, no. It is from, from God's point of view, it is from the creation of the soul into eternity. And yet man views value completely different from God. Man's highest value is preserving life, and that's a great thing. We should strive to do that. But God goes even further and says, no, it's, it's also preserving the soul, the spiritual life that you have. That's what makes this life, this physical life, meaningful. People don't deny themselves by trying to save themselves and their own lives. And this, of course, is just a reminder for us this morning. Are we willing to even lose our life for Jesus? Does Jesus come before our very lives? That's what Jesus is saying here when he says, I want you to deny yourself. Of course, we continue in that application in verse 25 with this idea of denying self. In verse 25, Jesus says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What is it worth to gain the entire world and all its kingdoms and all its wealth and to lose your soul? It's worth nothing. We lose so much of ourselves and who we are, our identity, when we follow the things of this world, and that's it. That's all we live for. Because you look at our life, we are influenced by who and what we follow. I mean, take, for example, social media, Instagram. I mean, that's the platform. That's the basis of it. You have these influencers, and I'm going to follow them, and I'm going to like their content, trying to mimic what they do, and try to do those things because I like it. Nothing bad with that. But you can notice that our identity quickly becomes influenced by who we follow. And that means if we are to deny ourselves, we are desiring to, to be influenced by Jesus, to be reflections of Him. And so, quite literally, our identity, our identity determines our eternity. What is that going to look like in your life if you don't deny yourself? And that means we have to then take up our cross. Take up our cross there in verse 23. I find it interesting as well that Jesus says this right after verse 22. When he says to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. They know what cross looks like. They know what crucifixion looks like. And we hear this phrase thrown around in our culture all the time. It's almost become synonymous with, well, that's the cross you have to bear. That's your burden to bear. And that's pretty much taken out of context in many ways. And what this is saying is, look, we have to be willing to be nailed to that cross for Jesus. Is that, look, there's going to be some hard times. There might be even be some suffering when we follow Jesus and we take up our cross and we do that daily. Does that guarantee suffering? No, but it may entail suffering. You think historically, when someone was being crucified, and they're on that road to being crucified, and they have to carry their cross, and the people here saw this, you know, that was a shame. It was a shame historically to be crucified. You did something wrong, and now you're naked, hanging on a cross, dying. That's not good. No one desired that. And Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross, and there doesn't have to be shame. You look at verse 26, and Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me 
out of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is asking us to take up our cross without shame and complete confidence. That's what he's asking. Following Jesus isn't always going to be a cakewalk, but it should never be a shame. Shame is already a burden. Shame is is what we feel when we sin, and that's no longer what we should have in our life when we follow Jesus. This isn't talking about a sin or a temptation that's burdened on me that I just have to bear. It's not what it's saying. It's talking about the cost of following Jesus. Are we going to walk in his image and after him? And Paul says that. He's like, I'm not ashamed. Paul in Romans 1, in verses 16 through 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When we take up our cross, we are living by faith. Jesus asks us to do that daily. And we know we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve a little cross and the death that that means. But Jesus says, you don't have to bear that with shame. But you do have to take up your cross daily to live a sacrificial life for Jesus. And yet so many are willing to live their life not wanting to pick up a cross, not wanting to follow Jesus, to deny that. And ironically, they choose death. And they essentially refuse to deny themselves. But when we take up our cross, we actually choose life. And that's the promise Jesus gives us. We have to understand Who are we following? Because that's what it all comes down to. Who is this Jesus that we're following? That's what this chapter is trying to dissect for us. And it's shown in Luke chapter 9. Look at verses 28 through 31. 28 through 31. This whole next story is about who are we following? We're following someone pretty remarkable. Verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he came to me, he, he took me, took with him, sorry, Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So we know in this context of this chapter, people are wondering, who is this Jesus? Well, for Peter, James, and John, they see it. They see the Christ. They see it in his glory. And it's not Elijah, and it's not Moses, one of the prophets of old. It clears everything up for them, at least right now. And in this moment, this moment places emphasis on the statement mentioned by Peter earlier, that this is the Christ of God. And in this moment, it shows us why Why we deny ourselves. Why we take up our cross daily. Why life is so much more than just these worldly things. We follow Jesus. And it requires from us 100% focus and 100% of our life. And verse 32, it goes on to say, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him. And as the men were part, 
were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said as he was saying these things. A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Look at verse 35. How is Jesus described here? God says, this is my son, chosen one, capital C, capital O. This isn't just, we're not just following anyone This isn't Elijah. This isn't Moses. This is someone who created Elijah and Moses. This is Jesus. This isn't just Jesus, the prophet, the human, the teacher, the intermediary between God and man and Savior. While all those are important and necessary and a part of his identity, this is God. What makes all those things significant is the fact that Jesus is God. He isn't God, part two. He isn't some subordinate. He's a part of the Godhead, the Trinity, and he's God. And this is understood. If you look in the next story, they go down from the mountain. In verse 43, he heals this boy who's possessed by a demon. And how do these people see him? How do they see Jesus in verse 43? All were astonished at the majesty of God. That is how we should see Jesus. Jesus as God, because that's who we're following. And so when Jesus says, look, I want you to follow me, he's saying, I want you to follow God, to give your life for him. This is who we follow, who we take up our cross for, who we deny ourselves for, who we live for. And all of this is applied at the very end of the chapter. At the very end of the chapter, you have three incidents where people who really want to follow Jesus, who desire to follow Jesus, but they're not ready to take up their cross and deny themselves. And all this that we read in verse 23 is applied. Look at verse 57 in these situations with Jesus. In verse 57, look at the first person. And they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, he says. I'll follow you wherever you go. Us reading that and knowing that Jesus is going to the cross, that's a pretty bold statement. But in a way, it's honorable. If we're going to take up our cross ourselves, it's something that we should desire to do. But at the same time, he's not ready because Jesus calls his bluff and says, look, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the man has nowhere to lay crickets. He's not ready to go everywhere with Jesus. He's not ready to deny himself because denying himself might mean and taking up his cross might mean I have to make sacrifices and be uncomfortable. If you wonder what is important in your life, ask yourself, what am I willing to give my life for? What sacrifices am I willing to make? And if Jesus isn't in that answer, then maybe we need to shift some of our priorities in life. We need to make some changes. Verse 59, another thing happens here where now Jesus takes the initiative and he asks the man, look, I want you to follow me. And he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And that seems like a reasonable thing, right? I was like, okay, this man is grieving. He just lost his dad. But Jesus instead, and says in verse 60, he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim, proclaim the kingdom of God. We have to understand the historical perspective here that this man is asking. At that time, it took a year to bury someone. It was a long process. This wasn't just a weekend event here. It was a year-long process. But the key phrase here for this man is verse 59, but first. But first. No, it should be but first Jesus, period. Not but first, let me spend a year doing this thing over here. But first, let me just see if I can get my life together. But first, hey, let me just finish scrolling for a second. But first, you know what? If I could just conquer this sin real quick, I could have a good foundation and then follow you. That's the wrong perspective. That is not what Jesus is asking. But you're saying, look, look, Jesus is grieving. Have we who Jesus is? Jesus is God. Answer for grief and sorrow and pain. It's Jesus. He's who we go to. He's our comforter, our savior. He's the giver of life. We've seen him heal people and raise people from the dead. This is who we're following, and he's forgotten that. And we can too. When we say, but first, something else. When we have that cosmic perspective, it helps us follow God in the best possible way. In verse 61, he has another situation there where we read, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's that phrase, but first again. And it comes up again, and and Jesus says no again to what seems like a reasonable request. That's not what happens. Because to follow Jesus means that I need to have the right focus. It's Jesus first. He's the first relationship in my life. He's everything to me. We need to have our hands on the plow, ready to go, moving forward. And you just take this analogy and you apply it for a second. I'm sure farmers can attest to this. Ryan, you can correct me when I'm done. But, you know, if we're plowing and we're looking around and we're looking behind us and we're distracted, we're not going to have a straight path there. We're going to go in in every direction. It's going to be a mess. And that is where legacy comes in again. Where we realize, oh, I'm not setting up anything for the people behind me. I'm not really proclaiming the kingdom of God. I'm not doing anything that I should be doing. I'm not helpful to God. I'm not helpful for myself or anyone else. How am I sowing the seed? How am I being productive? Jesus can come up as really, it seems like, if we don't read this right, mean and unsympathetic. That's not the case. He's just simply describing to us a reality, a spiritual reality, that following Jesus and being a part of the kingdom of God makes everything better in the end. It's eternity with him. It's the better path, the better decision. It's the better life. And Jesus isn't saying, look, I don't want you to have relationships. In fact, I just want you to struggle and to be uncomfortable and to grieve all the time. That's not what he's saying. Jesus wants you to know that God makes this life worth living. That without Jesus, none of these things even really matter. That Jesus has the ability to make our relationships at home and everywhere else in our life better 
that Jesus has the power to save, to save those that are even lost in our own life. Jesus is where we find comfort and the pains of our life, the death of others, because he's conquered sin, he's defeated death, and those reasons alone is why we should drop everything and follow him. And so now we come back to that question we asked at the beginning, right? Do you follow Jesus? Do you follow God? I hope that you do, because if you're just following yourself, you're going to run into a, a perpetual cycle of just sin and guilt, sin and guilt, sin and guilt, because you brought yourself there. And the only way to get out is with God. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Why? Because it has the power to save. Take up your cross. Be a part of the kingdom that he talked about in verse 27 when he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And that's where we're at with his church. Follow the one who took up his cross for your sins. Because it's through his blood, the blood of God, that we're made new again. Be baptized and follow him. If that's what you want this morning, we can help you in any way. Come forward now. We stand and we sing.